Hello and good evening. I got my boy Aiden Sarah here. Hello and good evening. That's kind of corny, but I'm still working out the intros. I, uh, I'm i going to stay committed to my craft here. But anyways, welcome to episode five of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. Five, the drive for five. This is, uh, it's a solid number. I think we're we're getting a good chunk of the ways to to 10. And I think once we hit 10, then we really got the ground running there. Uh, Aiden, how are you doing here? Not bad. The voice is okay today. If the voice starts to go, I just called the game. Literally, like, you know, I hopped on the call out of the suit and into the hoodie. Um, Blackfalls, big win on their teddy bear toss night. It was pretty cool to see all this stuff come flying down. Luckily, they scored like six minutes into the first period. So got to see that bright and early. Didn't have to hold on and stress out that they were going to get shut out tonight. <laughs> but yeah, put up five goals on a team that uh, they needed to beat in the standing. So it was a good night. And now I'm excited to do the pod. Are teddy bears good luck? Can we somehow, maybe for next episode, let's let's try and compile a record of teams on their teddy bear toss diet. I'm curious to see if teams win more often than not on those. That sounds 100%. Like something Jeff Merrick would know off the top of his head. So I have to apologize to our listeners that we don't actually have that offhand. But he's more of an idol. He's kind of the goat when it comes to the full on hockey nerdisms. Yeah, that's that's the goal. That's like the that's what you're striding towards. Well, we've got quite a few things we want to talk about today. So I, I think we had a couple off the top that we want to use, get underway here. And uh, it starts with a bit of a heavy one. This one's a tough one. And it's some news you don't necessarily want to see. Chris Letang uh, dealing with some other stroke-related issues. Um, He will be out indefinitely. Um, Obviously, you wish him all the best and you just want to know he's okay. I saw saw he put out a little bit of a release saying it it was just time to take care of his body. And and he took care of it and uh, figured out what was going on. Um, I'm obviously paraphrasing terribly there, but you know, the, the message is important. You just, you just want him to be okay. Life comes first. The guy's got a long life ahead of him after hockey. And of course you just want him to take care of yourself. Right, Aiden? Yeah, he has a, he has a heart condition. Um, he had a stroke in 2014. He missed a couple months of that season and tests showed that Latang was born with a tiny hole in the wall of his heart. So he's always kind of had to be aware about that possibility. So yeah, second stroke of his career. Um, it sounds like good news. Uh, Penguins coach Mike Sullivan had said that the initial test results were encouraging and Latang's going to keep having tests next week. So we don't know anything for sure until then. But the initial signs point to something positive. Latang is 35 years old, but had his at least points wise had his career year last year james 68 was a career high for him in 78 games um for chris letang you know he's a fierce competitor so he's not going to want to step away from the game earlier than he has to you hope you wish him all the best both of course health wise but if he can continue to play the sport he loves that would be that would be awesome as well you know you touched on him being a fierce competitor i just think back to uh last summer when it was looking like either him or Malkin, or both could be leaving the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you saw uh, Crosby and other guys on the pen saying that it's no wonder Latang signed for more than a couple years as uh, they figure he's probably going to play longer than the rest of them. Yeah, which is incredible. Uh, Malkin is a year older than Crosby and Latang. Um, but yeah, Chris, Chris Latang's been such a, such a superb defenseman for so long. 
the longevity of his career. I, I think he's a little bit underappreciated, honestly, just what he's been able to accomplish in his career. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we wish him all the best and fingers crossed that he can return sooner rather than later. All right. And moving on from Chris Letang. And as we said, for the third or fourth time, wishing him all the best. Uh, I know you had some stuff to say as a Canucks fan about uh, how the Roberto Luongo situation with the Ring of Honor went in Vancouver. What do you have to say about that coming from a fan? Yeah, I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. Brayden Ursel has the Orca pod. It's a lot of fun. Canucks podcast. Uh, Brogan Houston and I are regular contributors to it. And Brady had pitched the, the oh, is Roberto Luongo uh, what what is it for him? Is it Ring of Honor? Is it is it Jersey in the Rafters? And I was fully confident it had to be Jersey in the Rafters because to me, Kirk McLean and Roberto Luongo are the two best Canucks goaltenders of all time. But Luongo is is it's a he he. There's distance between the two of them. Luongo is the best Canucks goaltender of all time, and Kirk McLean's in the Ring of Honor. So my thinking was, well, Luongo is is so much ahead of McLean in my head. You know, he's the franchise all time leader in wins. He was so good for so long, won that Olympic gold medal in Vancouver. He's above McLean. He's got to get the jersey up in the rafters. And I, w- I was almost, I would have bet so much money that, you know, he, he would have had number one up in the rafters. And I, I, it, <laughs> it, it, it was shocking to me to see that they announced that he was going to be in the Ring of Honor. Roberto Luongo played in Vancouver from 2006 to 2014. I'm just, uh, James, I don't know about you looking at it from an outside perspective, but for me, Luongo, two seasons in Vancouver where he won more than 40 games, had a season with a 9-2-8 save percentage and a 2-1-1 goals against. That was the 2011 season. Multiple seasons in Vancouver. There was three of them where he was above a 9-20, you know, took them to two President's Trophies and a Stanley Cup final. Again, by far the greatest goaltender in Canucks history. And number one, yeah, number one should be going up. The, the Ring of Honor... You look at the players in the Ring of Honor and you look at the players that have their jerseys retired. Luongo is closer in caliber and closer in legacy to the ones with the numbers, not the ones in the Ring of Honor. So to me, it's it's <laughs> he's he's an awesome guy. He's going to be a good sport about it. He's not going to be upset. But to me, if I'm Roberto Luongo, it's like, are you serious? Like, I, I, I'd be hurt. I, I'd be insulted. Well, for me, Aiden, I really do agree with you. I think that. When you think of players who get their jersey numbers retired, it's the iconic players from a generation. And when we think that generation of Canucks, the first ones we go to are Henrik and Daniel Sedin and Roberto Luongo. And I mean, you could make the argument that some teams are only going to do one player from that generate from each generation, maybe two. Um, but I think the twins kind of count as one. So you I think there's room for Luongo there. Obviously, some teams are going to retire multiple players from a generation. You think Chicago, you already got Hosa, Kane, Taves, Duncan, Keith are all getting their jersey numbers retired. Maybe even Seabrook. Like I'd say Patrick Sharp has a shot too. Yeah, it's it's a mass jersey retirement. Might as well just have one huge ceremony, make a huge party of it. <laughs> no, I, that'd be fun. That'd be fun to watch. But yeah, and you know, the, I, I guess just one last parting thought on that topic for me before I pass it back to you. Did Luongo make a funny tweet about it? I haven't checked. No, I I also haven't checked. I used Twitter to game day tweet, uh, live tweet the Blackfolds Bulldogs games, and that's the whole list. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> I'm not a fan, so I, I haven't looked. However, I am familiar with the Strombone One Twitter account. Um, I don't know if he did or not. But you know what? It's kind of funny that you say that. And again, jersey number retiring should be predominantly. What did they do on the ice? What was their contributions to the team? But 
that kind of just also speaks to the person Roberto Luongo is. He's just such, he's one of the best people I've ever witnessed in hockey. He's, he's hilarious. He's, he's kind. It's just the, the, the quality of his character is matched only by the quality of his play. And for me, you, again, that's just another factor in, in him. He should be considered the, one of the greatest Canucks of all time. And, and he's got to be up in the rafters and, you know, this the, the the decision's been made, so it's not going to get reversed or anything. But I think the majority of the reaction that I saw um, on Instagram or, or or online or whatever um, had people agreeing with that that he yeah that this is kind of a slap in the face. Yeah, completely agreed. But you know, he's a good sport. When I when I summarize Roberto Luongo in one sentence, it is that he is good for the sport of hockey. And he will be a good sport going forward. I don't see him being sour. If anything, he'll just make a joke about it, saying, "Oh, maybe if I got that cup, I'd be in the, I'd have my jersey in the rafters." Maybe at some point you'll see him joke about it, and you know we'll probably all have a great laugh about it. But you know, enough on enough on Bobby Lou. Let's uh, let's move on to a quick little topic. Alex Formenton will not be playing in this 22-23 season as the RFA contract deadline has been passed. That was December 1st, and Formenton does not have a contract. What do you have to say about that? What really goes into this situation? Because I feel like some people from the outside looking in might not quite understand it. Something that we haven't talked about, I want to talk about when a resolution is reached, and that is the investigation into what happened with the 2018 Canadian World Junior Team. If you're not familiar with the allegations, uh, Google it. Um, but Alex Formanton and a few others could be facing some legal troubles over that. And the fact that a resolution hasn't yet been reached, I think definitely went into it. Ottawa didn't want to commit a contract to somebody who may or may not have been part of something so heinous, to be frank. Um, Formanton, based on his play, uh, to me, he was he was really good last year. 18 goals, 32 points in 79 games. He is fast and he uses his speed to his advantage. For me, I think it's it's the, the only thing you can really point to as to why Ottawa wouldn't want him um, locked down would be the uncertainty behind what is going to happen out of that investigation. So I think for me, that's that's the only thing I can really point to. Yeah, I mean, I, I've already said this multiple times this podcast, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. It's just another another phrase I'll catch myself on in the whole pod this time. I completely agree, Aiden. I will use that a few too many more times. But at some point, as you said, we will dive deeper into that. I don't really think it's appropriate to talk about before a resolution is made. Um, and, you know, that's something that it could take weeks, months, years days maybe what if something comes out tomorrow you never know uh it's when there is significant news on it we will speak on it but for now it's it's a pretty heavy topic that doesn't feel timely to get too far into uh i I will agree with you as well that he was a very solid up-and-coming player this could have been a breakout year for him uh seeing as i mean josh norris is out with injury that could have been an increased role for him on this senator's team so yeah i i think going forward it's something for us to watch Moving on from Alex Formanton, we talked about Mitch Marner last week on the podcast. I raved about him. He had just, I believe, extended his point streak to 16. It's 19, isn't it now, James? It is indeed. And, you know, I saw that he passed Daryl Sittler, but 
you know, I guess forgive me for being a little complacent on it. I didn't know Eddie Olchek was tied for that record as well. Yeah, I had heard that last week when he was kind of, you know, up on the leaderboard and, and approaching in on it. But yeah, Marner's been phenomenal. I've, I've, like I said, I said this on the last podcast, such a huge fan of the player, such a huge fan of his game. Two goals in Tampa Bay last night to extend it further. Um, I also love how hyped everybody on the Leafs is for him. Like you saw, I'm not sure if you did see the video of him going into the dressing room after everybody's just spraying him with water. Um, you could see his his point streak almost didn't get to 18 in San Jose on November the 30th. He hit the empty net and you could see him, like all the players on the ice for Toronto kept trying to give him the puck so he could hit the empty net. It, it's something that, you know, we're we're into the December portion of the season. You're kind of approaching the halfway point. You know, it, it's it's the end is way, way in the distance, right? These are games that sometimes, you know, at the beginning of the season, you're playing for the spots. You're playing to have a good start. This is kind of the dog days of the season. So I think it's always really good for a team to have something like this to rally around and to to really motivate them and gives them something to come together over. And yeah, and obviously Mitch Marner continues to be such a phenomenal player, having a really good season. And yeah, I think this is finally the year he hits 100 points. He's flirted with it a couple of times. 94 and 82 games in 1819 would have hit it last year without a doubt if he played 82 games he ended with 97 points in 72 he's got 31 and 26 so far i think he's only he's only going to get better from here definitely aiden and i just have two notes on that one i uh i was watching that game with a friend of mine who's a lightning fan so watching martyr just put an absolute shift in shorthanded and uh and and contribute on that shorthanded goal that was that was quite the quite the pile of work to watch that was awesome my my lighting friend friend wasn't too happy about that one but you know it was fun to watch when it's two teams that i'm not outwardly a major fan of i definitely air towards just cheering for a good game cheering for exciting moments and that was one where i felt like damn this is good this is really good and then the second note i have on that one just a quick question we don't need to go too far into it otherwise we'll get way off track I want to know what the most iconic NHL point streak in your hockey watching life has been. For me, it's Patrick Kane just going on an absolute tear in, what was it, uh, 2013 or was that 2015? I believe 2015 went because it was new Panarin year. That's tough. That's a very tough question. I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. You know, sleep on it. Think on it. Come back to it if it comes to you. Will do. The, the, the one that comes to me is 2013. Chicago, not a player point streak, but Chicago had a streak and I can't tell you the number, but there was, they didn't lose a game in regulation for a really long time. Their streak of picking up points in games was ridiculous. They ended up winning the president's trophy on the Stanley cup that season. Remember the goaltending duo of Corey Crawford and Ray Emery was superb for them that season. That's the one I come to, but I can't really think of any player streaks off the top of my head, but yeah, I will. We'll circle back to it if I if one dawns on me. Awesome. And uh, so I just had a couple things I want to talk about because I actually went to the Canucks versus Coyotes game here in Vancouver last night. Awesome game. You know, the the arena was buzzing. Uh, you definitely saw the vibe get taken out of it for a bit as you saw them go down a goal. But, you know, they fought hard and it was a very high paced game. These are two teams that. I haven't really had the best of seasons. I mean, clearly Vancouver had higher expectations than the Arizona Coyotes, but it was a really, really good game. I, I would honestly put it in, in the, the better half of NHL games I've gone and seen in person. And there were a couple big takeaways for me. For one, 
It's been two years now where we watch Arizona Coyotes goaltender Carl Vimelka upset good teams. As we've established, I'm an Avalanche fan. Vimelka has toasted them with the high 40s and saves twice. And the Avs just lose by a goal. Uh, I believe the same thing happened to a couple other high-end teams last year. And Vimelka is just playing very well. This is a really solid goaltender. So that begs the question, is he going to continue the trend of great Coyotes goaltenders, great on their team at least, uh, think Ilya Brizgalov, think Darcy Kemper, think Aiden Hill is a goalie prospect or up-and-comer that was ready to take the next step. Guys that the Coyotes just, mm, let's take our assets and go. You got to wonder if that's going to happen. And it's not just the Coyotes that have done this. A lot of teams in the NHL's basement have great goalies come through their system. I think the big one right now is Linus Allmark. He's killing it in Boston after, after you know, maybe being a bit of a diamond in the rough in Buffalo. And do you think this is something that you could see happening? Vimelka leaving? He's got two more years on his deal left after this one. Could be the last year of his deal. He's currently making $2.725 million. Stellar goaltender. I think uh, I think it's something. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's just going to come down to a couple of factors. Number one is what are the Arizona Coyotes going to ask in return for him? And then number two, is there going to be any contending teams that need a goalie that will want to match that return? For me, Vemelka, again, watching him play, you know, his stats last year aren't savory but that's just because of how bad the coyotes were last year like a 368 goals against and an 898 save percentage on one of the worst teams in the league you could always see it in him you could always see this coming cuz he's been even better this year a 913 save percentage again on an Arizona Coyotes team that came into the season trying to lose <laughs> and he's still been phenomenal for them and yeah i, I think for me Vemelka, there's a lot of value in him, both because of how good he is and because of the contract. He's got 2725 this year, next year, and the year after. So if you're a team acquiring him, he's not a rental. He's not something you're going to probably need to move much money out to accommodate, depending on who you are. And he's somebody who could actually legitimately be your starting goalie on a cheap ticket until 2025, which is huge as well. The one team I kind of look at because they just sent goaltender Cal Peterson to the AHL is the Los Angeles Kings. LA also have a plethora of young players, a lot of right-hand shot defensemen that they could move, forward prospect depth like crazy. And I think if I'm if I'm taking a step back and looking objectively at the most likely destination, I think Vemelka is going to end the season with the LA Kings. They're a team that wants to contend. They're a team that thinks they're close. Obviously, they pushed the Edmonton Oilers to seven games in the first round last season. I think that makes a lot of sense. But obviously, the closer we get to the trade deadline, you know, we haven't seen those injuries yet. For me, we'll talk about Jordan Bennington later in the podcast. For me, the St. Louis Blues made a mistake letting Billy Huso go in the offseason. Maybe they're a team that takes a swing of Vemelka to upgrade on Bennington because Carl Carl Vemelka would be an upgrade on Jordan Bennington, period. (laughs) So maybe that's something you see as well. St. Louis kind of getting back into the mix, but then again, they would need to play themselves into a playoff too. And who knows if that's going to happen. Okay, we have a few more things to talk about before we get to Bennington because I already know there's going to be a couple of things we disagree on there. So that's going to be an interesting debate back and forth that we're going to have. Uh, but just before we leave the topic of this Canucks Coyotes game, I want to take a minute to talk about Jacob Schicker. This guy has been top five on the trade list, like next guy to go for what a year and a half now. Like, I swear it, 
we haven't stopped talking about him getting moved. The big thing this year was waiting for him to get healthy because no one wants a repeat of the Ryan Ellis and Philly situation where you trade for an impact defenseman, send a bunch of assets the other way, you're committed to this guy and he can't play. He's hurt. Um, All the best to Ryan Ellis. I hope he can get healthy and get his career back on track, but nobody wanted to see that repeat with Jacob Shikrin. So here he is still on the Coyotes. And you know what I saw from him last night? I saw... A guy who reminds me of a past New York Rangers defenseman mixed with a current New York Rangers defenseman. He reminded me of a mix of, actually, they're both captains. Former captain Ryan McDonough and current captain Jacob Truba. He's got the great stick, the patience, and the poise, great first pass on the breakout, and join the rush like McDonough, okay? And then he's got the mean streak and physicality that Jacob Truba has. Yes, it's a little bit more subtle than Truba, but you just saw every time guys are going by him, he's just pushing on a little hand, pushing on a little fist, always has a stick on them. The guy is always engaged and involved. And I think any team needing a number two, maybe even a number one defenseman for them, but I think he's more of a number two. Um, any team needing that impact guy that has the assets, they should be all over him. The fact that this guy hasn't been traded yet aside from the health things just means people haven't offered up to Arizona standards yet in my eyes. What do you think on that matter? I think Jacob Shikrin is probably the best player available for trade in the NHL right now. Yeah. If not, he's close. He's yeah. He's a superb defenseman. I, I, I can't think of anything you said that I would uh, refute, you know, the career year was 2020, 2021. And it's just been injuries after injuries after injuries since then. So you know, it, it's obviously a good thing to see him back in the lineup and you hope he can rise to the level that he was supposed to reach years ago. For me, the thing about a trade again, it's the it's the is he going to be the same after coming back from injury? He's played six games, two goals, four points so far. So I think the most likely scenario is that Jacob Chikrin ends up being a deadline acquisition so that a team that might be trading for him has a good idea of exactly what they're trading for rather than trading for somebody who's played a half a dozen games since coming back from injury, you don't know if the injury is going to hamper his play yet. Definitely. And one thing I didn't see a ton from him was huge bombs from the point. And that was a big part of his game before. So, you know, as he continues to get more and more comfortable since, since coming back from injury, I think that's something you could see come back into his game. And by then teams might be all over him again. All right, Aiden, I'm going to, for this next little segment here, I'm going to pass it off to you because I know this is the one you're, that you're really excited about. And this is probably going to be the most time-consuming, hockey nerd-esque part of this podcast. Like, this is going to be, it's going to be fun, but probably a little bit ridiculous. There's going to be some debating back and forth. What do you got for us, Aiden? Well, Jason Robertson has been just unbelievable this season. Uh, you know, in his rookie year, 2020, 2021, very quietly, I thought 17 goals, 45 points in 51 games, finished second in Calder voting to Kirill Kaprizov. And everybody was like, wow, this random second round pick by the Dallas Stars. You know, he looks like a player. Well, I wonder what he could turn into last year with the Dallas Stars, 2021, 22, 74 games, 41 goals, 79 points. You know, he was kind of the the breakout guy, him and Tage Thompson last season. It was going to be hard for him to beat that, I thought. But there's no words to describe how well this guy's playing. 23 goals and 41 points through 25 games this season. He scored a goal and an assist again today, had a hat trick earlier in the week. 
And it kind of got me thinking the 2017 draft was supposed to be a weak draft. That was it. That was what it was advertised to be. You know, and if you look at the top 10 of that draft, you can pick out some busts. Nolan Patrick second overall. Not sure if I want to call him a bust, but injuries definitely kind of hindered any sort of career development he was going to have. Cody Glass going sixth, Leah Anderson seven, Casey Middlestat eight, all guys that didn't live up to their potential. So I was just kind of in my head going, you know, I wonder where Jason Robertson would have been drafted if we do a 2017 redraft. And then that led to, well, screw it. Let's do a 2017 redraft. Let's see where James and I slot in Jason Robertson. And context, round two, number 39 overall in 2017 by the Dallas Stars. So James, I'm going to let you kick us off. 2017 draft. Let's go through the top 10. First overall to the New Jersey Devils, it was Nico Heischer. Second overall to the Philadelphia Flyers, it was Nolan Patrick. Third overall to the Dallas Stars, it was Miro Heiskanen. Fourth overall to the Colorado Avalanche, it was Kale McCarr. Fifth overall to the Vancouver Canucks, Elias Pettersson. Sixth to Vegas was Cody Glass. Seventh to the Rangers was Leah Sanderson. Eighth to Buffalo was Casey Middlestat. Ninth to Detroit was Michael Rasmussen. And tenth to Florida was Owen Tippett. So that was your top 10. We are going to redraft the top 10. James, I will let you start us off. Who's number one? Okay, so for me, number one is very, very obvious. I think that Kale McCarr is the clear breakaway in number one. It's, it's not close. How do you feel about that one? Or do you want me to keep going? No, 100%. There's no debate in my head. Kale McCarr, to me, this is, this, this is what I'm going to say. This might be the most debatable thing I say. In this whole podcast, I understand it, but it's not something I'm, uh, you know, something dramatic would have to happen for the rest of the season and moving forward for me to not have this opinion. Because to me, Kale McCarr is the second best player in the NHL right now. I think he will be the second best player in the NHL until Connor Bedard is the second best player in the NHL. I love this guy. I think what he's doing as a defenseman is generational. 28 goals, 86 points in 77 games last year bested only by 29 points in 20 games in the playoffs. James Norris, Con Smythe, Stanley Cup, Calder Trophy, Hobie Baker, already in his young career. He's just 24 years old. This guy is a shoe-in future Hall of Famer. He's a shoe-in top 10 defenseman of all time. I'm not even the Avs fan, and he's one of my favorite players in the NHL. He's superb. I really don't think there's a debate, and he's my clear one. Perfect. And do you want me to give you number two now? Yeah, go ahead. Because this is where, to me, this is where it gets interesting. Because I said this to you before. Doing this redraft, I have three tiers of players, or there's a top 10. So tier one is Kale McCarr. I have three players in my tier two. Second, third, fourth overall for me could be flipped in any which way. And then the next tier of players for me are the guys that go between fifth and ninth. And there's some debate there. You can kind of fluctuate between there. So I'm really curious about the way you're going to put second overall, third overall, fourth overall. So you can start with second. Number two, very controversial, I think. But centers are the most valuable. I will, this is a really tough one, but I'm going to say with his play right now, I think Nico Heischer is still number two. With the, you bring the leadership intangibles, you bring the two-way game that you can argue uh, one of the next guys on this list is developing as well and has maybe even equaled that. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think Nico Heischer is number two for me though. I think Jason Robertson's going to score 50 goals this year. He could flirt with 55, 60 if he continues on this pace. I think Jason Robertson, what I love about 
you know, prospects and young players that develop. I love to see a clear year one to year two improvement, year two to year three improvement, year three to year four improvement, because then you just hope that they're going to just keep getting better and better and better. And that career trajectory is just going to go up. And for me, that's what I've seen of Jason Robertson so far. So my number two is it's Jason Robertson. Second overall, he's again, we talked about him already. 23 goals in 25 games this season is absolutely insane. Yeah, I understand what you mean about the centers being more valuable. You're absolutely right in that. But for me, this guy's potential, his top end talent. I think Kale McCarr could hit 100 points. Jason Robertson, to me, is just as likely as anyone, if not more likely than anyone in this draft to hit 100 points. We haven't seen anybody from this draft do it yet. Robertson is who I would have my money on to do it the the quickest here. Perfect. And now that we're on my number three, I have J-Rob at number three. Robertson is my number three. I, I have to have one center above him because you look at every draft, a center is going high. And so that's why I had one over him. And I was debating on which one would be over him because there, there's as many as three guys who could, who I would have put in that spot. But yeah, no, I have Robertson as my number three. I think you said everything that needs to be said. The guy is a true game-breaking stud. I um, Quick, sad tidbit. I traded him away at the start of last season in my Keeper Fantasy League before he had even played a game for Ryan O'Reilly, who went on to have a fairly down year. And uh, I'm, I'm still paying the repercussions for that. But the silver lining is that the friend that I traded him to stupidly traded him away this year. So it's okay. I don't feel as bad. Who do you got at three, Aiden? I was torn between two centers. I went Elias Pettersson third overall. Career stats last year, 32 goals, 36 assists, 68 points. Are you biased? I, I try not to be. Um, now, of course, I talked about Pettersson on the last podcast. I'm just subjected to him more than I'm subject, subjected to Heischer as far as watching him play, just because the nature of watching more Canucks games and Devils games. With that being said, for me, their defensive play is really close this season. Nico Heischer had developed that two-way game before Pedersen did. So last season, it was far and away, Heischer was a better defensive forward than Pedersen. Heischer was a better two-way forward than Pedersen. This season, Pedersen's two-way game has taken such a jump that I think their two-way games are comparable. I might have Nico Heischer purely in Selkie rankings above Pedersen, but then to me, the tiebreaker becomes Pedersen's elite offensive skill and his upside for scoring goals and getting points is greater than Nico Heischer's. I think he's a more talented offensive player than Heischer. I think he's a first line center on a Stanley Cup team by the end of his career. For me, Nico Heischer, if, if Heischer's your 1C, I think you might need to supplement that a little bit if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup. And New Jersey has that with Jack Hughes, don't get me wrong. Um, but Pedersen barely over Heischer for third overall is my pick. Awesome. Well, <laughs> we have a bit of a trend going on here. I... I have Pedersen at number four. It was a very, very close one for me. But the guy's a true game breaker. I saw his skills on full display last night. Um, you always wonder if there's that extra echelon with him. Is he a is he a just barely first line forward, or is he a franchise player game breaker? Is he going to is he going to continue to develop and be uh, the top 15 center in the league kind of thing? We have a very strong league. There's a lot of good centers. To me, he's an exceptional, exceptional player. Awesome to cheer for. He loves his personality. 
he brings uh brings a bit of a flair but i i will always wonder if there's that next step my four is nico Heischer. like you said we have the same top four same first overall and two to four scramble that's actually kind of what i expected um yeah he sure selkie caliber player he's proving it this season and a career year offensively at least he's on pace for it before his career season was last year 21 goals 60 points in 70 games now he's got 10 goals and 26 points in 24 games already and he's doing that as new jersey's second line center because jack uses the one c so that's even more impressive when you consider that again leadership qualities are all there two-way game is there superb center he shows my four and whoever's getting him a fourth overall is laughing in my opinion all right, here we go. Number five, I'm continuing the center's trend. I'm going Nick Suzuki, Montreal Canadiens captain. Uh, incredibly creative player. Ton of fun to watch. You see how much his game has developed alongside Cole Caulfield under Martin St. Louis. He's he's a player Habs fans are going to be cheering for for a very long time, especially with that contract he signed. He's not going anywhere. You're not worrying about any holdouts. This guy's a true leader. He wanted to get in, get his business done, and just get things going. And I, I think he's a player who's always going to probably sit around that point per game mark as he develops, gets into his prime. I don't think he's rated our superstar like a couple of the other, a couple of the other guys we had higher on our list. But point per game center, first line center, captain, you can't downplay any of those, and that's why he's my number five. Yeah, he is for me too. He's my fifth overall. Um, it's kind of like I said with Robertson. This is Suzuki's fourth full season in the NHL and you can see an improvement in his game from year one to year two, two to three, three to four. Now 26 points in 24 games to start off this season, career highs and goals and points with 21 and 61 respectively last year in 82 games was such a good player as a, as a sophomore for Montreal didn't really put up as many points as, as maybe you would have hoped he would in that playoff run, but still 16 and 22 on the way to the Stanley cup final. He was awesome in that playoff run. Yeah, everything you said, Suzuki, yeah, to me, is a first-line center in the league already, and he's just going to keep getting better and better. Suzuki's my five as well. Okay, number six. I'm changing it up from the centers. I'm going Miro Heiskanen. I wanted to have him higher, but I valued centers a little bit higher, especially because you look at 2017, uh, there were a lot of veteran defensemen on rosters that weren't really out of the league yet. That's something I took into consideration as well. Um, yeah, I think... Miro Heiskanen is the best defenseman in this draft if isn't for Kale McCarr. And as an Avs fan, I remember being very sad when pick number three got announced. Colorado had pick number four and Dallas took Heiskanen because I wanted him. The Avalanche had Tyson Berry already. I thought, okay, you put Heiskanen and Berry together. This is awesome. This will be great. And (laughs) full transparency, I remember thinking, Kale McCarr, yeah, he looks good, but it's junior A. I mean, clearly I've been proven wrong time and time again uh, on that one. But even Nathan McKinnon said, who even is this guy? He was playing in junior A. Um, But yeah, no, no, I have Miro Heiskin in there. Crazy two-way game. Um, Great at walking the line at the point on the power play. Exceptional pass. And I think there's just going to be a season where Miro Heiskin puts up a ridiculous amount of points, maybe 5-10 over a point per game. I think there wasn't really the need as much because the duties were kind of split in Dallas. John Klingberg took a lot of the offensive load in seasons prior as Heiskanen continued to develop a bit more. Esselin Dell chips in a bit offensively. And 
they rely a lot on their top six forwards offensively as well. Like you think even early in Heiskanen's career, Radulov was still putting up numbers. Like they, there just wasn't the need as much. And I think as his career progresses, enters his prime, I think there's going to be a huge season for Miro Heiskanen. And with that, who do you have at six? I also have Miro Heiskanen. So we've had the same five, six now. Heiskanen and Suzuki for me was really, really close. Um, Miro Heiskanen in the 2020 playoffs in the bubble was just looked like a looked like a top defenseman in the NHL. He looked like he was going to be a superstar, and he was haunting just, my dreams. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I bet he was. Um, him and Joel Kivaranta, but um, 26 points in 27 games on the way to the Stanley Cup final that year for Dallas. He hasn't quite lived up to what he looked like he was going to be. But like you said, I think this season it's going to be an elevator role for him without John Klingberg. And I think him being the number one guy in Dallas is just going to make him better and better. All the ability in the world's there. I think just as soon as he moves into that role as a true number one, both in ice time and on the power play, he's going to really just take that extra step in his game. Completely agree there. He's uh, he's a dynamite player and it's going to keep going on forward. And so with number seven here, I have another center. I've got Robert Thomas. The guy put up 77 points in 72 games last year. Uh, a bit of a slow start, but now he's up to 21 points in 23 games this year. I think he's a huge building block piece for the St. Louis Blues, and they knew he was going to be good when they drafted him at 20, but I don't think they knew he was going to be this good. I certainly didn't. I don't know. Maybe, obviously, their scouts are professionals, and they know a hell of a lot more than we do. But, yeah, Robert Thomas just continues to impress, and that's why I have him in that spot. Who he got, Aiden? It was really close. It was really, really hard, this one. This is probably the one I struggled with the most. I, I actually, after I had finished, went back and changed it again. Uh, seventh overall for me is Josh Norris. 35 goals in 66 games last year. Another guy that's just taken step after step after step. Was part of the Eric Carlson trade to Ottawa. And I love this guy. I love his game. The left-handed shot coming in down the left side. Just cutting to the middle of the ice. He's so smart. He's got that knack for scoring goals awesome season last year in Ottawa. Yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about this guy. I think they got him on a bargain of a contract too. Uh, under $8 million until 2030. I think he's got 40. I think he's got 50 goal potential. I probably wouldn't say it's likely for me that he scores 50, but multiple 40 goal seasons for Josh Norris is something that I would absolutely not be surprised if it happened. Well, Hayden, if you're a gambling man, which I know we both are on the cheaper side, at least, uh, maybe sprinkle a little money on Josh Norris next year. You never know. Yeah, I had him. <laughs> I had him in every version of fantasy hockey I did this year, and he got hurt, and is the reason that I'm very not in the top of the standings in in some of these leagues right now. Um, I think your seven is a good segue into my eight because my eight is Robert Thomas. Um, really big fan of his. He's a superb playmaker. Um, again, another guy that's just you know he, he's 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 really taken a big step in his game between 2021 and 2022. Um, I think the differentiator between Norris and Thomas for me is that it's kind of like I was talking about last week with Pasternak and Marner. To me, Josh Norris, his production isn't as dependent on the players around him. I think Robert Thomas is uh, is an awesome playmaker, but I think playing with as many talented forwards as he has in St. Louis definitely helped him out a lot. I think if you put Robert Thomas with a couple guys that are struggling to put the puck in the net, Robert Thomas isn't as capable as, jo as Josh Norris is of getting behind the wheel and driving a line by himself. 
Um, with that being said, I probably honestly like Robert Thomas as a player more than I like Josh Norris, just um, in terms of, you know, personal preference and, and, and who I would take on my team. But uh, so far, I recognize Josh Norris as the, as the better player. All right. So I'm a number eight now, right? Yeah. Okay. So I am going with the one and only goalie on my list because goalies actually go high now. I'm going Jake Ottinger. Jake Ottinger at number eight, the third Dallas star in my top 10, just shows how ridiculous of a draft they had. Um, this guy is an up-and-coming top goaltender in the league. If he's not already a top 10 goalie, he's getting there. Um, you look at his performance in the playoffs last year, just what a stud, and he's continued it into this year as well. Like, top-notch goalie, and I think he's just going to be great going forward. Who do you got at number nine here? Because I don't think you had Ottinger in your top 10. Number nine for me, that's where I'm at, right? Number nine? Okay. Drake Batherson, Ottawa Senators winger. Love Drake Batherson. Loved him since I saw him at the World Juniors in 2018. Another guy for me that's just taking step after step after step in his development. Um, he looked like somebody who was going to flirt with point per game last season before he got hurt. Ended the season with 17 goals and 44 points in 46 games. For me, Batherson is just, he, he's, he's the complete winger. Great passer, great shooter, very smart with the puck. He's got a ton of skill. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, he's 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 the complete package when it comes to a winger, and he's on a cheap contract for a long time. Ottawa kind of got got a steal in him for under $5 million till 2027. That's insane. All right, so with that, I was pretty torn on who to go with number nine. I was leaning towards Drake Batherson, but I'm actually going a different direction. I wanted to put one creative, dynamic offensive player there. I went a different way. I went with Martin Natchez. The guy is having a crazy good year. A little bit of a slower development. People thought he was going to start doing crazy things as recently as 2021. He had 41 points in 53 games that season. Followed it up with a little bit of a slower season with 40 points in 78 games uh, last year. And this year, he's got 28 points in 25 games. The guy is a legitimate dynamic offensive threat for the Carolina Hurricanes. Absolute stud. Ton of fun to watch. Really creative player that really complements Andrei Sveshnikov and Sebastian Ajo. You had Brent Burns into the mix on that power play. It's a ton of fun. This guy's my number nine. What do you think, Aiden? Well, should I go to my 10? No, nah, I want to... Is he your 10? I don't know. Oh, well, and that's... Yeah, so he's not. And he was going to be, and then he wasn't going to be. It's much like that was the other one I struggled with. For me, it was I, I I wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six, was okay with all that. And then the Norris Thomas thing bugged me. And then the 10 11 between the guy I did end up picking 10th and Martin HS was was really hard. Um listen, I get it. Uh development isn't linear. It's not, you know, you don't always get those players that you see that clear improvement season to season. That's what I've been talking about with these other players it's is then you can predict that they're the the career trajectory is just going to go up for me marty nhs is as much inconsistent as his development has been non-linear i had a lot of hope for him going into last year and i watched a good chunk of hurricanes games last year and it, it wasn't a matter of you know him get not getting the bounces for me there would go there would be periods where i was unsure if he even had a shift but when you see him yeah you're right he's a lot of fun to watch he's an awesome player he's got a ton of skill but for me there was too many times in the last two seasons where i'm watching a game 
and I forget that he's playing. So that bumped him too. And again, if we kept going, I would have had him 11th just for all that offensive up to upside, the ton of skill he has, but it just bumped him out of my top 10. And with that, who is your number 10? It was between three players. Then it was between two. And then it was Jake Ottinger. Um, again, for me, he's had a little bit more of a linear development than HS. He, you know, he keeps getting better and better. I just saw too much inconsistency within last season for him. He had such an unbelievable playoff, but watching him in the playoffs kind of left me wondering where was this all season? Because he had flashes of that during the regular season last year, but then he had flashes of, wow, this guy is, you know, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> What is he doing between the pipes? He's been really good this season. Um, nine seventeen save percentage so far through 17 games and nine, two and three record. Um, so I have faith and I have hope and I have, yeah, I, I, have, I predict that Jake Ottinger will become that, that bona fide starting goalie, the, that star that he looked like in the playoffs. But for me, it's less of a certainty than the top nine working out to their potential. So that's why I had him at 10th. I think if he's, if he becomes as good as he could be, we're talking, you push him up to five, six, seven, but it's less of a sure thing for me. So that's why I had him at 10th. Perfect. And you know, that's all very fair. And with my number 10, I'm not going to go too far into it because you already spoke about him quite a bit. Josh Norris. I chose him over Drake Batherson. I figured one very dynamic, creative right-hand shot forward in the top 10, and I was going to make that Marty Natchez. I mean, I'm, I'm talking outside the top guys, but yeah, no, I think I take Josh Norris over Drake Batherson. I think goal scoring is probably the most valuable thing in the NHL. I mean, you have to score goals to win and Josh Norris can fill the net. So Josh Norris is my number 10. So Natchez in and Batherson out was the only change. The one I was struggling with, and again, it's the consistency thing. I know he was ravaged by injuries. I was the, I was torn about Gabe Velarde. He's had a really, really good season so far. But for me, his start has slowed down quite a bit. Um, he's still a smart enough player with the ability that he could surpass many of those guys on that top 10 list. I could see him at the end of his career maybe being as high as 5'6 in terms of best players out of that draft. But then again, I could see him having a lot of players surpass him. I was torn about, you know, maybe even a Philip Heedle as well, but Heedle hasn't had the regular season success that compliments as good as he was in the playoffs last year. So he does a little bit farther down the list for me as well, but that was fun. It was a ton of fun. And, you know, we got to flex our hockey nerd muscles. We got to have a little bit of debate back and forth, which, you know, admittedly is something we have kind of had missing from this podcast. We tend to agree with each other a lot. And so I thought that was quite a bit of fun. It, uh, it, we did have a lot of the same ones, but we had different reasons for having them where they are. So yeah, I enjoyed that. And I think listeners can expect more redrafts in the future as storylines pop up for players in those drafts. Yeah. And it's something that I love to do. And yeah, it's, it's, it could be a, oh, we go year by year for 10 episodes. We go 2010 to 2020, whatever. Um, but I think it's a better idea to kind of introduce them as something like, you know, Jason Robertson, where would he fit in? Because he's having an unreal season. Um, I think 2015 might be relevant too, just to have Mitch Marner thrown in there. So um, we'll see. We do have a potential guest for next week, so I don't want to be committing anything next week beyond the fact that we have a guest lined up. We'll talk about him later in the podcast. Um, so maybe that's something in the coming weeks. If Mitch Marner continues to have the unbelievable season he's having, maybe we talk about 
where he would be in our 2015 redraft. But that, for me, will close out, I think, the NHL portion of the podcast, or at least the, you know, the immediate. We'll have NHL talk in our closing thoughts after a quick little junior, or, and again, Shane Wright's less junior, more AHL, but his conditioning stint is done. Um, like you, I don't think I watched any Coachella Valley Firebirds games. Um, but the stats speak for themselves, four goals in five games for Shane Wright in the AHL had a shootout goal in there as well. What next do you think for Shane Wright, James? Well, I think the experiment's going great. It's, is it not going exactly the way that we thought it was going to go when we did our little preview? I think that the next step is send him to that world junior camp and then things continue going smoothly. Yes. He has to be brought back up and maybe he gets that game in against Montreal. And I believe there's another one. I think they'd send him to the camp before the other one, but they cannot send him to the camp right away is what they can do. So he can play two games before he burns a year of that entry level contract, which is what we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, the camp opens after the one game. They can keep him. They can, they can keep him for as long as they want to keep him. Um, Shane, uh, Hockey Canada isn't going to tell Shane Wright to take a hike because he wasn't there for day one of, of World Junior Camp. That's not going to happen. So he could play his two games and then go to the World Junior Camp and then go to Junior without burning the ELC. Seattle could not play him against Montreal. I have, have him go to the World Juniors on seven games. Then he can play up to two after the break, you know, there's any number of ways that this could this could play out. Uh, the one that I'm hoping is that he goes to the World Juniors and he's awesome. <laughs> that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. Oh, definitely. And that's I think that's what we all want. We all want him to go tear up the World Juniors, get a ton of confidence, enjoy representing his country, doing the thing that so many kids in Canada dream about growing up. You get to see all of the sick World Junior storylines growing up, and I can't really think of a better way for him to to get that flair back and continue doing so after a great showing in the AHL. Speaking of awesome in the World Juniors, 26 goals, 33 assists, 59 points in just 27 WHL games for the Regina Pats. For Connor Bedard, we've talked about how good he is, but I wanted to talk about something else. So head coach and general manager of the Regina Pats, John Paddock, was allegedly being bombarded with questions about trade rumors that Connor Bedard was going to be dealt away from the Regina Pats. And he kind of lashed out a little bit. He questioned a reporter's um, preferred dialect per se, asking him if he spoke English because the Regina Pats had stated that Connor Bedard was not going to be traded. And then Paddock in a media scrum was asked about it. He was not happy about being asked about it. Um, Paddock, saying of course he has a no trade clause he doesn't want to be traded he's not going anywhere um now james okay you and i both went through this you know we both have journalism diplomas um you're starting at city news that rubbed me the wrong way it really did sometimes if you're there in a media scrum you're asking a question because somebody told you to go ask it you're asking a question because you sometimes you just need to hear him say, no, he's not getting traded for what you're working on. You just need that soundbite. And John Paddock, I don't know, he didn't need to he didn't need to lash out the way he did. It wasn't just him saying, do you speak English? It was him even saying, if you work for the Kamloops Blazers, I'm going to file tampering charges that I thought went a step too far. The reporter in question worked in Kamloops, but not for the Blazers. More context, Kamloops is hosting the, the Memorial Cup 
So actually, it would be a a logical trade destination for Connor Bedard to go would be to Kamloops because that guarantees a Memorial Cup hockey. Um, Paddock just wasn't a fan of the plethora of questions about it. I wasn't a fan of it, about its answer. What do you think of it? End question shaming. End all question shaming. <laughs> Let the guy do his job. If you uh, if you don't like it, use the just lean into the mic and say no. You can do that. You can just give him a one word answer. If you don't like him and you want his story to be garbage, sure, just give him a one word answer. But now the story of Paddock making a scene and being ticked off is it's the major storyline now not the story that this that this reporter was going to write i don't know i don't really think it was worth it it's all fairly laughable to me i think if i were the reporter i'm probably just gonna leave kind of confused it's gonna be like uh say you go to see your doctor and you and you tell them all of the things that's wrong with you and they just nod their head and go okay and then they say a bunch of big words then they say okay nice to see you we'll see you next time that reporter probably just walked out like, what even just happened? And, you know, odds are it could have been a pretty young reporter too, like someone who was new to it. I haven't looked into it. I don't know who the reporter was. But like you said, there's usually someone giving you some borders saying, hey, we want this story covered. And can you ask about this? So, yeah, the story could have been the story literally could have been despite trade rumors, Connor Bedard is not getting traded. And all he needed was the quote that Paddock eventually did give about, you know, them not doing it. So Paddock gave him what he needed with a sprinkle of just belligerency and and just being rude that I just wouldn't appreciate if I was that reporter. Um, With all that being said, if you've been asked the same question, 10 day, 10 times a day for 10 days. I also would not be happy with that. There's two sides to it. Anyways, Connor Bedard, nothing to take. Nothing, don't take anything away from Connor Bedard's season he's having. He's been phenomenal. He tops every draft list, including our next topic. Craig Button has released his latest November the 30th draft rankings. And he had a change because I noticed on his one before this, he had check winger Edward Sale. At second overall, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, And all of a sudden, Fantilli's second, which is like, Craig, this was so obvious to everybody else. Why did it take you this long was my initial thinking when I saw Fantilli had risen to second. But it is Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli, one, two on Button's list, two players we've talked a lot about. The next three is where it got interesting for me. Leo Carlson, a Swedish center out of Orebro in the SHL, fourth overall, as previously mentioned. Again, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Edward Sale, fourth overall. Matvey Michkov, only at fifth overall. Michkov, widely regarded as the number two until pretty recently to Connor Bedard. Button's got him at five. From what I've seen of Michkov, that's low. If you get Matvey Michkov at fifth overall this year, you are blessed. There, you, you have some sort of luck that everybody yearns for. <laughs> You're totally right, Aiden, and I think the major thing is that he's got a contract to stay in the KHL. And that kind of scares teams. You never know what you're going to end up getting. It could be a few more years after. Like, think about how long it took for Evgeny Kuznetsov to come over to Washington. It was a little bit of a wait. 
And you think Kaprizov took a while for him to come over. But, you know, a player of that caliber, when you know that they are going to be that good, it's not the teams that want an impact player either the preceding season after the draft or the season after that. It's not going to be those teams that take Meechkov. It's going to be the ones that go, "Mm, it's okay. We can sit and wait. We got our cookie now. We have no problem waiting for him to come in and be a superstar at all. And I think that realistically, I don't know, unless you're trying to address a specific positional need, you take the best player available. You do it. Yeah, especially when you consider, like, because of Connor Bedard and how good he's going to be, this is a year that, you know, we're seeing teams that we saw in the offseason, teams like Arizona and Chicago attempt to bottom out before the season even started to tank for Connor Bedard. Um, Goner for Connor, as I've dubbed it. Not sure if that's going to stick. Um, not as catchy as some of the other ones, but it's a reach. I think it's a reach, too. I, I, anyways, so the team that ends up with, say, third overall is probably going to be, you know, unless something crazy happens in the lottery, it's probably going to be one of those teams that bottomed out and was tanking for a high pick this year. Those teams don't need an impact player immediately because the nature of tanking is that you are stripping it down in the now and building for the not so near future, right? So third overall is going to go to a team that unless again, unless something crazy happens that isn't trying to make the playoffs next year or probably the year after. So at that point, why are you taking somebody not as good as Meechkov so that you can have him earlier when you're not going to be, he's not going to be in the playoffs for you anyways. I, I don't get it at all. And again, as a Canucks fan, I've seen far too many times the best player available get ignored and far too many times is one. It was 2016 um, get ignored for a positional need or something else. And that pick completely blow up in the team's face. Um, I don't know, more times than not for me, positional picks or, or picks for any other reason than they're the best player available just don't work out i can think of so many examples off the top of my head we could do a whole podcast of it's very cockney yes right off the top barrett hayden in the same draft fifth overall was not the best player available and has yet to work out for the arizona coyotes I, the one i was referring to was Ole levy so i, I just i it, it's 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 puzzling to me how time and time and time again other teams can see teams make that mistake of, of not drafting for positional need or not drafting the best player and instead drafting for positional need and then do the same thing. And if you believe in a player's upside and you believe that they are at least close to the best player available, then you take them by all means. But if that's not the case, then just take the best player available. You, you have that asset. It's more valuable than than having something else. Look at the Montreal Canadiens right now. Like I, I know they eventually turned Jesperi Kokaniemi into, into Christian Dvorak, who's a very serviceable player for them. But that was still a mistake. He still shouldn't have done that. <laughs> he still shouldn't have done that. Brady Kachuk would be more effective on the Montreal Canadiens than Christian Dvorak is right now. And it would have been a lot less of a headache. <laughs> Quite frankly, as much as, you know, Kachuk's... <laughs> I, sh- I maybe shouldn't say that Kachuk has already got into a very very uh, spirited contract negotiation with the Ottawa Senators but regardless you take the best player available and the best player available to me at third overall this year will be Matt Vemichkov without a doubt Bedard's one Fantilli's two Michkov's three unless something crazy happens this season I think that has to be the top three 
100%. And just one note on that, I would say that if you're the Chicago Blackhawks and you're picking anywhere, three, four, five, maybe even two, who knows? You look at your timeline for top 10 pick last year, Kevin Korchinski, the defenseman, uh, really solid skater, really solid player. They, the, the guy that they used the pick from the Debrinket trade on. You look at his timeline to come to the NHL, it's really not that far off of waiting a few years for Matt Vimechkov. So I think if you're Chicago, then they're going to be bad. Like they're they're gonna have a high draft pick. How high, we don't know. But I think if you're Chicago, you take them, regardless of where you are. That's just my two cents. I think I just want to see it though. Like I don't want to see an original six team be irrelevant. So I want to see them have a superstar. But yeah, anyway, we can move on from that. That's it's an interesting one. I think you definitely have to take the best player available. We've said it probably five or six times in the past few minutes. People are probably sick of us saying that. What do you think, Aiden? Yeah, no, you take the best player available, period. Um, There there has to be a very special set of circumstances for that not to be the case. Context is always important, but Mishkov has too much potential to be passed over for anybody not named Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli, in my opinion. So yeah, that'll be it for the regular regular NHL to junior portion of the podcast. We'll be back with some closing thoughts, but we are going to take a quick, quick break. James and I are just going to collect ourselves, maybe get a drink of water. Um, We do have some new buffer music from Gareth Baird. I'm very excited to hear this. I actually haven't heard it yet, so I'll hear it for the first time right now. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yes. Yes. That buffer music is around to stay. I like it. Moving on to some closing thoughts. We'll have a couple couple more hockey things, a couple more NHL things that I just wanted to kind of wrap up with. One of them is, and you can kind of look at this from two different perspectives. You have the the positive way to look at it, which is um, Patrick Maroon's response, or the negative way to look at it, which is to go after the initial comments made by Jack Edwards about Patrick Maroon. And sorry, I'm going to go after the initial comments Jack Edwards made about Patrick Maroon because it's just... I heard that. And the, the, the biggest thing that popped into my head, the big screaming question that I can't... like It's why? Why do you feel compelled to say that on a live NHL broadcast about a player. Like, I I don't get it. I don't get it. I can't in my head think, you know, I'm I'm a play-by-play guy. I I never in a million years could fathom sitting on the mic, doing a hockey game, looking at somebody and making just completely, completely unbelievably unnecessary jokes about their appearance what's the point why why like i can't i can't get past the why i cannot get past the you are a professional broadcaster what is wrong with you i don't know james and and i'm i'm i'll I'll give my I'll, i'll give a little bit more context as to to part of my the the source of my my frustration and 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 anger with this but you go first well aiden jack edwards sucks i'm sorry i know i'm I'm not supposed to say that, 
but he sucks. I don't, I, if, even if he didn't say terrible things all the time, I don't like the sound of his voice. I'm not saying I have a better voice. I'm an amateur, but no one likes hearing him speak. I was watching uh, before I left for the Canucks Coyotes game before I hopped on the SkyTrain. I was watching my my favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche, play in Boston. Of course, it's on this wonderful channel called New England Sports Network with Jack Edwards. And uh, I changed the channel. I'm fine with watching my team lose. The Bruins were pumping the abs. I'm totally fine with watching my team lose. I am not going to change the channel because they're losing. I changed the channel because I can't stand hearing him talk. I, I have nothing against Homer broadcasts. But it's just the way Jack Edwards tends to talk about people. He said a couple bad things about players last year that weren't necessarily attacking their appearance or or things about them. But he's just continually speaking from a pedestal that I don't feel this man deserves. He, when he says these things, it comes from a space of talking down to them, it seems like. And I can't get on board with that. I'm all for I'm all for a fun broadcast. I'm all for fun Homer broadcasts. Colorado's broadcast is the biggest Homer broadcast in the league. They've I've watched them years ago fist bump Matt Duchesne and say, go get him, dude. Like I I have no problem with seeing that stuff. But the way Jack Edwards goes about things and the way he went about speaking about Pat Maroon recently, it's just not okay. There's no place for it in the NHL. Um We've spent the last, what, decade on the hockey is for everyone train. And we're trying to be more equal. But come on, dude. Just just stop. Even people in Boston don't like to hear it. They don't like hearing Jack Edwards. They, from what I can tell, they usually choose the other broadcasts if they can. But Aiden, I know you had some closing thoughts on this one. So take it away, buddy. Yeah, I'm not going to go. We can talk about it another time. I am not at all a fan of Homer broadcasts. It's probably like that. That's that's that might be. And again, I think we'll we'll get to some stuff that we disagree on as well after this. But I, I completely disagree with you on the Homer broadcast thing. To me, you're okay with it because you can recognize that a play by play guy for your team is saying this because he cares about the team. To me, casual hockey fans don't. They listening to a Homer broadcast, if you're still learning the game of hockey, is a bad thing because you are looking at something that's happening and you're hearing it described completely in favor of one of the two sides involved. And that may or may not be an accurate representation. So I, I I'm not a fan of it for that reason, among others. Um I, I don't want to go into the 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 you know the the standard that play-by-play commentators should be aspiring to because I, I am completely, you know, <laughs> who am I, right? Like, I do it. I do it the way I think is best, but I have no, like, like you said, I have, I have no legs to stand on as far as what I've accomplished compared to everybody else <laughs> in the NHL that's doing it, right? Like, I'm not ever going to insinuate that the way I do it is better than the way that a professional NHL broadcaster does it, because why would I do that? <laughs> that's so far from my intention. But Jack Edwards, and sorry, I actually don't even think we fully established what exactly he said. He took shots at Patrick Maroon He's for being listed at 238 pounds, saying, I think that that weight must have been from day one of training camp. 
and then adding that Maroon, quote, had a few more pizzas since the season started, among other jabs at his weight. Okay, here's my thing. So January, February is when all the hockey talk stuff happens. I want to do a big hockey talks thing for, for this reason. Um, so we'll get uh, this will be elaborated on more in the podcast. Um, last year, I was diagnosed with a mental health problem that fully required me to be on medication. There was no no ifs, ands, or buts. That had to happen. Now, if you know anything about mental health medication, you know that very often it's a matter of trial and error on the medication working for somebody. Different medications have different side effects. Um, I'm on number three right now, and it's working. The second one I had tried, one of these side effects was weight gain. And I have struggled to take the weight that I gained on that medication off since I gained it on that medication. So I'm sitting here heavier than I want to be. I'm out of shape compared to what I used to be and compared to where I want to be. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a result of a lot of things, including the fact that I did not have any sort of choice in, in being on a, a medication that was going to do that to me. That wasn't something I chose. That wasn't something I, 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 I wanted. It just, it, it, it was, it was, it, it was something that had to happen. And as a result, that's where I am today. So it is just such an awful thing to say about somebody that they're gaining weight when you, you don't know why you don't know what's going on. You can't sit there and say this person should be in better shape because at the end of the day, first of all, he's a three-time Stanley Cup champion. So like, <laughs> screw off. Uh, but second of all, th- the message that's sending to, to people in hockey that, that might not be in, in peak physical condition for any number of reasons is just such a disgusting one. And it just made me so mad to hear. Um, however, again, the positive spin on it is Patrick Maroon. Um, made a $2,000 donation in Jack Edwards' name to Tampa Bay Thrives, which is a nonprofit that assists people struggling with mental health and substance use. Um, Maroon asked others to donate to the cause as well. And as of late last week, he'd raised over $50,000 with that. Um, so good for Patrick Maroon. Shame on Jack Edwards. I'll leave it at that. And just to put a bow on that for me, even if he's had 30 pizzas and 150 beers in the past week, who cares? It's not your business. Yeah. Yeah. Literally leave him alone. Don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. I think we're going to move on a bit to something. I at least partially disagree with Aiden on uh, Jordan Bennington, super dirty move, really dirty move while playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Aiden want to break down exactly what happened. And then I'll, uh, I'll give my two cents. Okay. First of all, complete respect for Craig Berube, who finally came out and basically said that Jordan Bennington's actions are, ridiculous he said that about his own goaltender the head coach at the st louis blues massive respect to him because i've been thinking that for a long time jordan bennington it was jason zucker right jason zucker's forechecking going around the goal bennington's out to play the puck pokes it to his defenseman and clotheslines jacob jason zucker with his glove to his face zucker goes down hard falls awkwardly into the boards it's a pattern when Brad Marchand licked his, what, third person, the NHL was like, all right, you got to stop or we're going to do something. I can't believe we're not there with Jordan Bennington yet. I, I don't. I, 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 again, it's just something that baffles me to no end. 
the why of he does everything that he's doing like it's just there's competitive spirit and then there's being this like what is going through his head and you know i I, i'm kind of going up to the line of honestly calling him a clown and i don't want to do it yet but just his actions are completely incomprehensible i don't understand the the mindset and the motivation behind doing half the stuff he does we've seen him get pulled go around and start pump faking people pulling his fist back like he's going to punch random players on the other team in the face on his way off the ice it's like at the end of the day to me honestly what i love about hockey so much is it's it, it culminates in the handshake line at the end of a series that's to me the the perfect representation of why hockey is such an amazing sport it's war on the ice but there's a mutual respect for your opponent and your teammates and the sport itself and every time i watch jordan binnington do something stupid i think that guy has no respect for his teammates he has no respect for the sport and he has no respect for the image that he's he's putting out there it's just it's theatrics it's unnecessary it's 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 something that i i hope i hope craig berube saying it gets him to gets him to stop doing it but it, yeah it, it's got to stop it's it's got to stop okay so gross cheap shot wish he didn't do it jason zucker's had some injury issues over the past couple of years you don't want to see it you don't want to see a guy go down like that and it wasn't necessary this is where people are going to disagree with me i love chaos i am an agent of chaos Maybe call me old school where hockey stands. I want to see players getting face wash. I want to see goalies go fight each other. When I see Bennington doing all that, you know, admittedly kind of dumb things when he's going and uh, doing the pump fake on them. I love to see it. I think, you know, the the dirty part where he's cheap shotting Zucker and he's going down awkwardly. I could do without that for sure. That's not necessary. But if he's adding entertainment value to the game and that's the kind of competitor he is, then if that's, if that's how he gasses himself up, I am controversially here for it. When he's on his game in the playoffs, Jordan Bennington is a top goaltender. And do you think he's doing this by, by being a gentleman? No, no. The guy wants to rip every single person's head off and I am okay with it. As long as he doesn't actually physically rip a player's head off, then sure. If if he doesn't cause serious injury, sure. I I mean, it's not an opinion you might have expected, considering I'm an Avalanche fan and Bennington and Kadri had their uh, had their back and forth in the playoffs, right? I I'm here for it. I you could even call me a Jordan Bennington fan. I think it's it's good entertainment value for the NHL. I'm glad not everyone's doing it because it's a new NHL. This is not the 80s anymore. But if I get to see a little bit of Ron Hextall, a little bit of Patrick Waugh, a little bit of when the wires cross with Jordan Bennington, I'm here for it. I'm okay with goalies getting involved physically in terms of like a scrum after the whistle. If they feel they've been, they've been, you know, impeded in some way i remember we uh, one of the big things that always pops into my head i can't remember who drove the front of the net um but i just remember carrie price getting up one time and just blockering somebody in the back of the head that had run into him um and at the end of the day that's a penalty he got a penalty but you know it, it, the competitive spirit was there and it wasn't necessarily 
a negative thing to see. And what you're saying about Jordan Bennington, you know, being that that the Ron Hextall, the Patrick Waugh, and that being a good thing is not what you're saying isn't to me incorrect. It's what you're saying it about. It doesn't apply because to me, what I remember about Ron Hextall was somebody something would happen and then he would during the play go out of his net and kind of seek retribution for it in the same way that you see a player stepping up on somebody and fighting them after they hit one of their players that's what that culminated in and i'm actually okay with that i'm okay with seeing i'm okay with seeing goalies fight i'm more than okay with seeing goalies fight but what Bennington's doing it, it to me, it's, it's, it's such a sharp turn away from that. It's just the, it's the antics. It's, it's not the, you know, if, if it's him, if it's him doing that, if it's him getting involved in scrums because he feels like he needs to, 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 to make retribution for something that happened on the ice, that's one thing, but what he's doing is so not that it's just, you know, I will not say that I think fighting shouldn't be in hockey. Because I look at it as a necessity in the sport. For some reason, in my opinion, hockey, the physicality nature of hockey is the most personal in any major sport. Football, you're hitting each other because you're hitting each other. There's no, you know, there, there's no gray area there. In hockey, physicality is, is sort of an option. So I look at a big hit being thrown to me, if you're a player, you take that personally almost. Like this guy just blew up my teammate. I'm gonna go step in. So because of the nature of that, I think the physicality is a good thing in hockey. I think the fighting, as much as it, I, I, I'm not gonna say I'm a, I'm opposed to the fact that it's gone down. I think it. I think it needs to stay. I think it shouldn't be banned completely. But nothing about what Jordan Bennington is doing to me it falls into that necessity category. Nothing Jordan Bennington's doing falls into that. You know, he's, he's, it, it's part of the game to me. None of this is part of the game. It's just antics. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's not something that I enjoy seeing. It's something that every single time I see it, it's just, uh, again, the question of why pops into my head and watching Jordan Stahl lay him out the other day was just awesome. Like, thank you. Do that again. Okay, but what that did is, okay, now you're passionate about another thing in hockey. You're passionate about hating this guy. You look back to the NHL 20 years ago, fans hated other teams more, even 10 years ago. Like, do you really see fans of teams despising another team or player with every fiber of their being anymore? Not really as much. Maybe the odd guy here and there, but no, hate the guy. That's sports. I... I think the antics are just part of it. It's for me when it boils down to it. Yes, hockey is a sport. Yes, hockey is has a lot of traditions. But when it boils down to it, hockey is entertainment. And are you not entertained when you saw him get rocked by Jordan Stahl? Yeah, you were entertained. So it just created another storyline for you to follow as a fan. Sure. Now, to me, the what you're saying the positive culmination of that is Matthew Kachuk, Zach Cassian a couple of years ago, because nothing about that to me was, you know, there was a couple times that it got dirty, but it was just tough. That's the way I looked at it. It was just tough hockey. It wasn't dirty hockey. That 
is the the fireworks I want. That is the that's the hate I want to see between two teams. And Matthew Kachuk has made a lot of enemies in his career already. Um, but that Cassian Kachuk thing, that's what I'll point to as that's the competitive fire. That's the that's the bad blood that is entertaining and is good for the sport. Jordan Bennington to me is just antics. And the same way the NHL stepped in and told Brad Marchand to stop licking people. I think somebody's got to get in Jordan Bennington's ear and say, like, just play the sport you're paid to play. Don't do this song and dance and and just make you and your team look like a joke, which is kind of what it, it's 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 seeming like from here. Well, Aiden, I don't think we're going to find more than partial common ground on this. Do you? No, 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 no. And I was going to actually say that exact thing after your first response to it, but I figured at least we, we can flesh out our, our stances on it a little bit more. And, and yeah, like you said, do something we haven't done on this podcast pretty much at all, which is disagree. Definitely. And now that we've done that, now that we've had our first disagreement, is this our first fight? Our first fight is podcast host? Is, no, is because I'm not mad at you. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, now that we've done that, we will head to probably the most fun portion of our podcast. And we're going to play a little game because it's not the great Canadian hockey podcast without a game to close things out. We are going to do a few more career trajectories and I am going to go easy to medium to hard, just like Aiden did. But I want some revenge here. He got me on one and I didn't like it. I mean, I technically had it right, but I'm not going to take the technicality. I'll take my lickings. So we are going to have three here. And Aiden, keep in mind, this first one is the easy one. So this player's career in the NHL spanned from the 0304 season to the 1718 season. He went from the Ottawa Senators to the Columbus Blue Jackets, to the Phoenix Coyotes, to the Chicago Blackhawks, to the Arizona Coyotes, to the Anaheim Ducks. How are we feeling? I like this look on your face. This is good. This is really good. Well, it's 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 the tunnel, it's the tunnel vision that happens with this kind of thing sometimes because I had something come to my head and I'm just trying to picture the one guy that I'm thinking of. And I just need to like broaden my horizons a little bit and think that maybe it might not be him. But it's 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 a struggle because I I know this guy checks at least three of these boxes, but I'm not familiar enough with his career to to say one way or the other. So, and yeah, so I'll, I'll I, I got to give this a little bit more. What's your guess? It might be so wrong, and 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 I these kinds of things I don't like to make a guess because to me that's that that <laughs> that's almost a way of of you know not cheating but saying one out loud and then reading your facial expressions and trying to figure that out. That that that's that's not part of the game. I just I got wanna, a good poker face, bro. You wouldn't see anything. But with that being said, I, I have an answer. Who is your answer, my friend? Who do you got? So the initial guess, this is not my guess. I'll go straight to my guess after, was going to be Ray Emery. Um, there's no Philly in there. Emery was a flyer, so it couldn't be, couldn't be that. I'm going to go, this is a, I, I'm between 90 and 95% sure this is right. I remember him going to the Chicago Blackhawks and contributing to the 2015 Stanley Cup. Antoine Vermette. Bingo! You got it, buddy. You got it. 
And keep in mind, that was the easy one. So it only gets worse from here. Yeah, that wasn't easy. That was, I would have fully made that a medium if I was me. But like I said, I'm out here for revenge. It is also, you know, a little bit more, you would have watched his whole career and I wouldn't have. So maybe for you, that you know, it's the, it's the era, the era separation. I think that that's right. Without that 2015 cup, I think that one would have been way harder. Yeah, I do remember. I think it was, oh man, this is going to really test me. I want to say 2015 Western Conference final game five. Anton Vermette scores in overtime to give Chicago a big. Three it was in that series, series I believe. Yeah, I can't remember who's game five. Yeah, I don't. I, the game, the game. Yeah, that that I'm not sure about, but yes, I, I can picture the goal he scored. Right, let's move on to number move two. On. This What's is uh, also out of your era a bit, but it's in your lifetime. So, this NHLer played from the 2000-2001 season up until the 11-12 season. The Kirk. The career trajectory is Boston, Toronto, Colorado, Vancouver, and ending in Dallas. This is a fun one. I've had this one in my back pocket for a couple weeks now. That's not helping, is it? What would help if I told you that uh, in 13-14, this pro played in Bjorklöven IF in the Swedish Tier 1 League? 100% would not help me at all, no. No, it, it definitely wouldn't. Oh, darn it. It's the era that I'm slipping on a little bit because it, that's the... That for me is the, like, the... It's the era that I'm slipping on a little bit because I can think of a couple players that had the Vancouver Dallas, some that had the Toronto too, but they absolutely did not retire in 2012. Like that's that's the that's the difficulty I'm running well, Aiden, into here. I will give you one hint on all like one hint from the three, like one hint for this whole show. And if you want it now, no, I don't want to use it now because. You know what I'm really struggling with right now is the name. Because I'm I it's a goalie, isn't it? It is a goalie. It is There's a, a goalie. smile. It's a goalie. Okay. So the Vancouver, the Vancouver Dallas of me can't get over Richard Bachman, but it can't he was like a Canuck in 2017 or something. So it's not Richard Bachman. So I need to get Bachman out of my head, and I think I'll get it after that. The Canucks had a couple backups, and I think the again doing the math, he was a Luongo backup, right? He was a Luongo backup. I will not say which year. I'm gonna. What's it's the name? I know. He was Toronto's goalie that caused them to trade away Tuka Rask. They put all their eggs in his basket and traded Tuka Rask. But what is his name, man? You're so That's close. Right. Yeah. You're so close. I know. <laughs> he was a Calder winner. How Andrew Raycroft. Yeah. Yeah. Calder. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Excellent work. Wow. Well, I told you I was going to make this difficult for you, and I have. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So this is, should I even like, should I even take time on this or should I just? Is I can I don't have a white towel. I'd put up a white towel now if that was the easy medium. Honestly, man. Jesus. All right, let's go. I took let's out the original third one because it went too far out of your era. It was a very long career. 
Well, didn't you say Bill Guerin was going to be that? I would not have yeah. had Bill Guerin last week. Yeah. No shot. Yeah, no, I took out Billy G and uh, I brought in this one instead. Player number three. And okay. I actually think this might be easier than Raycroft for you. We'll see. So this player's career spanned from the 97-98 season up to the 18-19 season. Playing for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks to the Florida Panthers, to the Carolina Hurricanes, to the New York Rangers, to the Carolina Hurricanes, to the Ottawa Senators, to the Minnesota Wild, to the Nashville Predators, to the Pittsburgh Penguins, to the Minnesota Wild, to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think you might have this one. Honestly, I thought this one was going to be a flick of the switch for you. It, as soon as I, as soon as it clicks, I think it will be. It's the it's the Carolina return that I'm struggling with. But then again, that could have been like early to mid two thousands. <sighs> I've got a guy. I just again, I got a guy, but not the ninety. It's the beginning that I'm really struggling with. And <sighs> okay, I'm not going to get any closer than this if it's wrong. So I'm going Matt Cullen. Excellent work, my friend. You did great. Yeah? Oh, wow. <laughs> I have a couple of friends who will be listening, and I know that they're screaming Matt Cullen at their phone as soon as they're listening to this. Because, uh, and a quick sidebar, I have to say that my one Pittsburgh Penguins diehard friend will be very happy that we did some Penguins talk at the start and at the finish because uh, he has a little bit of a bone to pick with you. You haven't said a single nice thing about the penguins and you've only said bad things. So I think I think this will this will cheer him up. I'm just trying to recall if I had said anything good about the pens. I don't think so. And I mean Pittsburgh's almost one of those teams where everything good you could say about them has already been said, right? Like a kind of in the Tampa Bay Lightning vein. So praising the pens is is it's almost too easy. Um yeah, no, Colin, honestly, Panthers, Rangers, no part of me remembers Matt Colin on the Panthers, the Rangers. It's just the Minnesota and Pittsburgh twice that is like, I can't think of anybody I couldn't else. even picture him on the Rangers either. He played 80 games for them in 06-07. I had no idea. Yeah. And no that was shot. between no the 05-06 Cup with the Hurricanes, and then he goes back to the Hurricanes again after that Rangers season. Yeah. Yeah. It, it will have been because of watching the 2016 and 2017 Penguins uh, playoff runs that I would have got Cullen. That would have, that, that's the only thing that. Well, Aiden, before we get too off track here, I have to say you went three for three. You did an incredible job. We've gone pretty long here. I think this may end up being our longest episode so far. And, uh, you know, but it was a fun one. We had a lot of fun with it. We had a good debate. We played a couple of good games. But it's time to close things off with our weekly How is Aiden feeling about Portugal in the FIFA World Cup? They lost to the South Korea team and their final game of their group. I was completely happy with that because it meant that South Korea advanced out of our group instead of Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay knocked us out of the last World Cup and I have... um, 
beating them this time around, which Portugal did, felt like uh, vindication a little bit. I was very happy with that. A um, little bit Good of retribution, a little bit of payback. Those are fair. Yeah. You've been um, your alphabet soup this week. Yeah, so far. Um, yeah, so Portugal plays Switzerland in the last 16. Um, if they win, it's Morocco or Spain in the quarterfinals. Um, I've never actually watched this team win a knockout game in a World Cup. Um, they, I've only, to be fair, you know, um, World Cup's only every four years and I haven't spent a whole lot of time on the earth. So I vividly remember watching them. This is going to be the fourth World Cup I remember watching them play in. Um, they have not made the quarterfinals in any of them. So Tuesday is going to be a fun day for me, I guess, tomorrow, by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on day one, um, they play Switzerland. It's a team that I've seen them win big games against and lose big games against in the kind of recent history. So again, cautiously optimistic that they still are right in the race for this one. Um, did want to quickly touch on Canada. Um, I thought Canada's first game against Belgium was awesome, but I also thought that people saying that they were going to get out of this group that they were in with Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco was way too optimistic. Um, Canada's good, but in that group, you had a Moroccan team that is very capable, as they showed. You have the team that finished second in the last World Cup, and then the team that finished third in the last World Cup and was ranked second coming in. So um, Canada... I hope everybody who's kind of was ca- kind of casually watching that because Canada was in it doesn't think that Canada had a bad tournament. Going 0 and 3 is disappointing. It's not what you want, but they lost to three very capable teams and they proved they could run with them, which was the best thing. They will be in the 2026 World Cup and with the World Cup expanding to 48 teams and the culture around Canada soccer now, I think that we're not actually going to see Canada miss a World Cup for a very long time. And I think that's a very good thing. And Aiden, we love to hear that because, you know, it's the biggest sport in the world. And for Canada to actually be able to come compete on the biggest stage, there's going to be generations of kids going forward that get to watch and cheer for their team on the biggest stage that there is. So it's pretty awesome if you ask me. But with that, it's been a great episode. I want to thank everyone for listening and Gareth for some excellent production. Let's roll that outro.